announcements. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you'll notice I said last Sunday that I can't remember things from the one end of the hall to the next, so I had to write them down on a paper styrofoam cup that was sitting over there so I could remember what I had to say. It's getting so bad. Um, I know that we, we had, um, I believe, Vi Proverbs is back in Florida, and um, uh, Pastor Ron and Joanne drove her car down for her, I believe, so they'll be, they'll be coming home shortly as well. Uh, Florida, are we still here, or when are we heading? When are we heading down? Oh, this week you're heading down. Okay, so amen. Lord, bless them as they go. Keep them safe. And help them to have lots of cloudy days when they're down there. Cold, cloudy days. <sighs> Amen. Lisa, did you have You have what? Yeah, oh yes, that was, that was my, yes. The, the water has been repaired, so hallelujah. Everything is good. And you notice the most excited one was one of the staff people, because those outhouses were getting really cold in the more this past week they were cold let me tell you something it was fun <laughs> um also next week i'm oh, sorry go ahead yeah Don. Uh, those infections oh, man. A- A- annie Angie, Angie, we just put your hand forward and let's just pray for Angie. Father, we just thank you for your healing touch. Send angels right now in the name of Jesus. Angels with healing power in the name of Jesus to her bedside, to where she may be at. We speak healing to her in Jesus' name. Clean the blood out in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. I tell you, as we've seen in, in some of you as well, Don and others, the, the most dangerous part of any surgery is the infection. It's not the surgery. It's what comes after it. So, amen. Um, next Sunday, next Sunday we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, Pastor Yuri will be sharing the word. And uh, he's been, we met yesterday and went over some of the things he wanted to share. And I think you're going to be blessed by Buddy what, what he has to share. But also his sister is up from uh, Brazil. And so she is going to probably be leading worship next Sunday. So it's going to be the Yuri show. <laughs> No, it, it should be very good. She's, I believe she's been part of worship here before, uh, years ago, and she does a wonderful job, and uh, you will enjoy her, and we, we, um, we do thank Alexis for helping out in this time, uh, and uh, amen, amen, bless her, and um, also, uh, we, are, we are that close to Pastor Steve coming back, um, he is all everything is almost out the tubes and the stuff like that i believe he's off his antibiotics coming up around thanksgiving this week uh and everything so we're hoping to see him very soon he he, uh is feeling really well he can lift 30 pounds now he's allowed to lift 30 pounds so um hallelujah so anyway so we're looking forward to to him being back as well amen take your bibles let's open them to ephesians the third chapter ephesians the third chapter and we are going to be down in, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, what am I, Philippians, what am I saying, Philippians, where am I, good, see, some of you even followed, and you knew that I was wrong, that's good, <laughs> Philippians, the third chapter, and we are actually going to be in verse 7, 
And we're going to be talking about gaining Christ, gaining Christ. Uh, Philippians, the third chapter, verse 7. Uh, let's just read uh, 7 through 11, and we will take some thoughts from there. Philippians, the third chapter, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, talking about gaining Christ here this morning, and, and Paul moves from how he was living, he gave us all these little tidbits and insights on living and things like that, and he's now moving to this final phase of his thinking where he's talking about gaining Christ and everything that that represents. And it sort of sounds like, uh, it's interesting phraseology, because he sort of makes it sound like uh, he's in control that I may gain, that I may know, that I may this, that I may that. Uh, and, it, uh, and it's not really that he's in control of his own destiny or in control of his own salvation, but he's talking, the, I believe, the practical side of our walk with Christ, and that is what we do after the Holy Spirit has gained our hearts. So we, we are, we're talking about moving forward in us. He's begun a good work in us, and that was his uh, he's going to bring it to completion. So I believe that what he's saying here is the practical, we've talked about this before, the practical versus the positional side of Christianity. We know that, that uh, you do not just get saved and then sit back and do nothing, right? That's, that's not the way we walk. We know that, as Jesus said, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There's a side to that that is literally the, that we have to have a violence inside of ourselves to subdue the flesh, How many know that's an easy job? Uh, We know what it's like to battle negative thinking. How many many negative thoughts come into your mind every day? Oh, at least one, right? (laughs) One whole long thought all day, right? It's It's a constant battle, a constant battle. We know how the devil seeks to find every weakness, in us, right? He's like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He puts devices in front of us, and we know how difficult it is to walk in that way. How hard it is to turn the other cheek, to forgive those who have hurt you. How hard it is to bless those who persecute you. It, it's not, this is not easy chair Christianity, right? This is, this is difficult. So his goal, Paul says, is basically to do three things, to know, to win, and to gain. To know, to win, and to gain. And I'm, I'm going to flip it around a bit and start from, from the bottom and, and move up a little bit. So he says, I count everything as loss. Everything in my life, whatever I had, didn't have, I count it as loss so that I can gain Christ and be found in him. So I can know him fully. That's the goal, to know Jesus fully and to attain the resurrection of the dead. So... Let's look at the first one. He says, that I might know him, the things that were, that were gained to me, I've counted for loss, so that I could begin to know him. I may gain Christ. Now, this is an interesting word um, <clears throat> that, he, that he uses here when he talks about gaining Christ uh, in verse 7. Those things which were gained to me, I've counted for loss. Well, there's two aspects to this word gain. So, first of all, 
I believe Paul could not be talking about normal monetary gains in life, like the normal stuff we have, cars and houses, and we go to work tomorrow, we get a paycheck, or we're on retirement, Social Security, we get money. So remember, he's writing to the Philippian church, thanking them for their monetary gift. So if they gave him a monetary gift, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but my understanding would be if they gave him a monetary gift, that means somebody had to be working, right? So we had, they had to have money in order to give to Paul and his ministry. So if no one was working and making gains, then there could not be any monetary gift. Lydia was a seller of purple. That was the first convert in Philippi. And that means uh, as a seller of purple, she was a seller of fabrics and things like that to the community that she was in. She was a businesswoman, so she was making money. She was making gains, and that's a good thing to do. And by the way, don't forget where she lived. You know, we went through this whole thing about the little cake shop that didn't want to bake a cake for two homosexuals, for a homosexual couple. I don't know, folks. Uh, If that was me, I'd still bake the cake and make money, and then I'd make sure I had a little plaque on my desk there that on the counter that said we support exodus ministries that set people free from homosexuality we support this ministry and that ministry we support <laughs> so if you still want to buy a cake from us that's fine i'll make the cake for you i don't care you know i, I know there are some some christians that and, and i'm not i'm not speaking against this but i don't want to shop there because they support this and i don't want to shop there because you know folks if if you carry that to the extreme you're all going to be walking around naked with nothing I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure General Motors is not a godly company. Ford is not, right Jim? Ford is not a godly company. I don't think at Chrysler Corporation, they, wait, they get every morning, they start with prayer. <laughs> they come into the boardroom and there's coffee, donuts, and prayer, right? <laughs> State of Ohio was not like that, Roxanne, right? No. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you're going to do business, you're going to do business. And you're going to do business with unsavory people in an unsavory society. I, I remember a, a contractor friend that used to, uh, he's actually on the board for many years when I pastored before, and we were talking about the mafia in Youngstown. <laughs> I know there's no mafia in Youngstown. but And he was a contractor, and he said, Pastor, if you don't want to do business with the mob, you're not going to do business. It's true. I'm going to get to an example about your husband in a minute, so that's true. Yes, Julie, you. <laughs> yes, it is true. It is true. So, so you know, so there she was. She was, what better thing to do than make money from the world and give it into the kingdom? That's a great exchange. It works out really well. So, so I don't think it talks about uh, earning a living or, or making money, because we know it's not wrong to have possessions. It's wrong when possessions have you, Right? It's, it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong when money has you. It's not wrong to own something. It's wrong when something owns you. That's not what it's about. Uh, Jesus said it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So I don't believe he's talking about normal gains here. Like He's not saying in order to win Christ, you have to quit your job and you have to give up everything and sell your house and go live in the woods. That's not what he's saying here. Uh, I believe it's, it's uh, very interesting because he uses the word here, gain, and he only uses it here and in the book of Titus. And the actual word is filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. Well, where did Paul get filthy lucre? Well, he was a Pharisee. 
That was about the most filthy job you could have. It was a job of extortion. It was a terrible job. Read what Jesus said about the Pharisees all through the New Testament, right? And so he said, that's why he gives this little dissertation that we just read last week a little bit before that. Circumcised the eighth day, right? And we found out that's meaningless as it comes to salvation. It doesn't mean a thing. Circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't mean I was of the stock of Israel. Well, that's meaningless. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's meaningless. Uh, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, my father was a Hebrew and my mother was a Hebrew. And so I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, that's just arrogant, Right? Uh, as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Well, that's evil. And then concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians for a living. He was dragging them to prison. That was evil, filthy lucre that he was gaining. So all of these things, he gave up his income, his position, his job, his friends, his family, because he had to give up his lifestyle as a Pharisee. And everything that he received was filthy lucre, so it all had to go. Here's an example. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you didn't have to give up your job at GM or the steel mill. You didn't have to give up your job as a teacher. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you didn't have to go into the principal the next morning and say, you know what, I just accepted Christ as my Savior, so I have to quit now. No. You didn't have to give up any of those jobs. You could still be a welder, a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, whatever you were. Those are not evil possessions. You could still be a politician. Well, wait a minute. No, I take that one back. <laughs> no, those are not evil possessions. But what if you were a stripper, a prostitute, a gambler, a racketeer, a bookie, a drug dealer, and you get saved? It's easy for us to say, well, hey, you got to give up everything. It's easy for us to say that. Uh, What if you're a Hollywood movie star and you get saved and you say to your agent, I'm not going to do any more sex scenes. I don't want to kiss people because I'm happily married. Well, you're probably not going to have a job. What what if what if you I, I had a I had a, a, a gentleman that used to come to church when I was pastoring before and and he got saved and he owned a bar. And it was a struggle for him. Well, it would be easy, it's easy for us to say, hey, you gotta sell that bar. Well, that's his whole life. So it's difficult at times when you have to give up everything. Chrysostom, the early church father, said, when the sun does appear in the sky, it is lost to sit by a candle. In other words, when your life becomes bright, eventually you're going to realize that that candle is useless and you'll make a change, but it's difficult. So we, the lesson for each of us is simple. I believe that every day we need to wake up and take an inventory of those things in our lives that we consider gain but might be useless and possibly even evil. We need to strip off the weights of sin that so easily beset us so we can run the race. We need to question the motives, the attitudes, and the actions that because we might, they might be just evil enough to stop us from pursuing the Lord. And in Paul's life, that was his whole life. For us, it's certain things we have to give up. Uh, this past week, uh, Pastor Grandi came in and was talking with Jim and I, and we were, we were just talking like three old Italian guys. And, uh, <laughs> and he was talking about his testimony again, and, and a couple, I don't even know how we got on the subject, but he was, uh, of course, involved in a lot of things before he was saved. But one of them was he was a bartender. 
And uh, so he, he said he actually became the head bartender of, of where he was at. And he said, one, one night, he said, I'd gotten saved. He, says, I don't, he said, to be, to be honest with you, I don't even know how I got saved. I just, I got saved. I accepted Christ. And, and he said, I was, we were at this big shindig, uh, and, and there was an open bar. And it was a wedding, a big wedding. It was an open bar. And he says, so I'm tending the bar. I'm keeping track of the guys and everything. And, and all of a sudden, up to the bar comes Jay Alford. Now, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Jay Alford was the pastor of Highway Tabernacle for many, many years and uh, was friends with my dad and, and that whole crew back there. So he comes up bar. He says, now, now, David says, I was actually attending Highway Tabernacle at the time. And here comes the pastor. And he, he orders a Coke. And so I give it to him. And he says, I didn't say a word. I just kept my mouth shut. I didn't say, like, good to see you, pastor. <laughs> I didn't say a word. You know what's really cool? Jay Alford said to him, this job is a good job. You're making money for your family. Stay as long as you can, but when the Holy Spirit tells you to quit, quit. That's good advice. And within a few months, he quit. It's good advice. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you at a certain time and say, stop that. You know what? doesn't matter what you're doing or where you're at. As believers, the Holy Spirit, every moment of the day can stop us and say, stop that. Stop that thought. Stop that attitude. Stop that gossip. Stop that. Stop this. Stop that. And that's what holiness is. So I believe all that is wrapped up in what Paul is saying is, I need to make sure every part of my life is prepared to move forward with Jesus. I want to move forward with him. And it leads us to the second point, he says, that I might know him fully. I want to know everything about Jesus fully. And he gives those three things, the fellowship of his sufferings, be conformable unto his death, and, and, and then attaining the resurrection. But he says, first, I need to know him. Actually, this verb, and I had to, I had to call an English teacher <laughs> to find this out. This verb is actually called a prolonged verb. And uh, it literally means to lengthen in time, scope, range, or extent. So to know is to know as long as you can the full scope of knowledge, the full range of knowledge, the full extent of knowledge. It's taking whatever that verb is and compounding it over and over and over again, more and more and more and more and more. So what Paul is basically saying is here, I want to know Jesus and I want to know everything about Jesus. I want to know it all about him. This is not just a howdy doody time where I check in and say, hi Jesus, how you doing? And he says, I'm great and you leave. You know, hey, we had a party last week, and guess who showed up? Jesus. It was awesome. (laughs) Where did he go after that? Oh, I don't know, but it was really cool. We spent a few moments with Jesus. No, that's not what this is. This is not just to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Jesus, and then go on our merry way. This, this, This is a marriage relationship. Paul even says that, doesn't he? This is the mystery, Christ and his church, the husband and the bride. This is a marriage relationship. It's, it's meant for a deep, extended, full-ranging desire to learn to know uh, who Jesus is. But you know what's even, what's even better about this? Because I've been married for 40 years. It's really great. I still don't understand women, but I can understand Jesus more and more. <laughs> Get to know him every day, deeper and deeper and deeper, Paul says. 
and, and, and that's the goal that we have. And then he says, also, we have to have the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, I don't believe this means bleeding on the person next to you. We, we talked about this before. It means a living sacrifice. Every day, fellowshipping with him. When we suffer, whatever it is, I believe, I believe whatever it is, if it's a stub toe to all the way to being persecuted for him and being burned at the stake or dying on a cross, whatever it is, going through chemotherapy treatments, recovering from an illness, whatever it is, it's suffering. And we know that if we suffer with him, we will endure with him. We will be patient through it and we will reign with him. So Paul says, take the full scope of suffering in this entire world and understand that we're suffering. He's felt it all, right, folks? He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. There's nothing he doesn't feel, nothing he doesn't sense. We're touched by him, and he knows exactly what's happening in our lives. So we're fellowshipping with him. Then he says, I want to be made conformable to his death. Wow. Now you say, this sounds even worse, and, and we'll get to the good part. But he says, you know, fellowship of sufferings, that's rough. And being conformable to his death, that sounds even worse. And what's interesting is this word conformable means literally to assimilate to assimilate. Our goal as a believer in Jesus is to be assimilated totally into him and he totally into us so that the line between David Verzilli and Jesus becomes blurred. That's the goal. The goal is for that line to become so blurry that I can't tell where David starts and Jesus ends. That's what our goal is. Uh, We we, uh, been in our house now for about 15 years and we had an old driveway that was uh, part gravel and part busted up cement. (laughs) So it was clunkety, clickety, clackety the whole way in and out. It was about two inches lower than the the garage floor so it was always into the garage and out. So finally we got a new asphalt driveway. It was just, just so nice. And the thing that's amazing about it is it's so smooth. You don't know where the garage ends and the garage begins. You don't know where the road ends and the road begins. Before, you could tell really well. You don't know where the cement and the gravel part begins and ends. Now it's all smooth. And every time now, when I take the trash can out, I walk out of the garage and I don't go clunk And down the driveway, clickety-clackety, right? Now it's just smooth the whole way. That's amazing. I'm, I'm, I bought a new snow shovel. Because I'm so excited to shovel snow. Because before it was shkunk, click, lift it up, get over the right? Or here the gravel's starting now. No, got it. Now I'm looking forward to just being able to go right down the driveway. Isn't that something? That's the goal of us as believers. No clickety clunkety in our lives, folks. All Jesus. Where do I begin? Where do I end? Where does Jesus start? Where does Jesus end? It doesn't matter. There is no line of demarcation anymore in our lives. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And then the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave. Conformity does not mean we strap a cross on our back and walk toward a crucifixion. I'll tell you what, sometimes it would be a lot easier that way, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easier if you got saved and they said, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to go to the cross now and you'll be dead in about five hours. Amen. No, now we got to take that cross every day, don't we? Every day a living sacrifice. 
Living a crucified life. It does not mean we whip ourselves. It does mean we subjugate the flesh. It does not mean we make ourselves bleed physically to try to be like Jesus. It does mean we pour ourselves out as a sacrifice to him, to each other, and to the world. It means attempting to walk the way he walked, love the way he loved, worship the way he worshiped, pray the way he prayed, reach the lost the way he did. That's our goal to be conformed to his image. One of the greatest testimonies or testaments that anyone could ever say to you is that you're a follower of Jesus, and I can tell. Much better than them looking at you and saying, wait, what? You're a follower of Jesus? (laughs) I don't know about that. No. Conformed to his image. And Paul says that this one last reason is the reason for this whole thing, and that is so that I might attain the resurrection from the dead, verse 11. That was Paul's ultimate goal to obtain the resurrection of the dead, and that should be our goal as well. Uh, I, I know he's come to give us abundant life. I know this is great, that we, what we have down here. I know his blessings are poured out. But I'll tell you what, my friend, I'm looking forward to heaven. There is, believe it or not, a resurrection. We will rise from the dead. It will happen. It's not a guess. It's not a possibility. It will happen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live as Christ and to die, we just read earlier, is even better. (laughs) Hallelujah. We are going to see our loved ones again. We're going to see our children. We're going to see our parents. We're going to see our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're going to see everyone that's named the name of Jesus. We will be someday chatting with Paul and Peter and Moses and Jonah and Luther and Wesley and all the rest. We will be doing I am absolutely persuaded that there is a heaven, that there is an eternity, that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming, that there is a throne that is seated in the heavens, that it is complete and that my king is sitting on it until he makes earth his footstool and then he will create a new heaven and new earth. I am absolutely persuaded and Paul is as well and others. That's why the word says, then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write, write, write. This is what's cool. Write this down, basically, the Holy Spirit says. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. Yes, says the Spirit. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor and their works do follow them. I believe it. Whatever I have given up on earth, wait till you see what I get back in heaven. Whatever I lose on earth, wait till you see what I get over there. Whatever pain I've had, wait till you see the pleasure that's there. Wait, whatever sorrow I've had, wait till you see the joy that's coming. Every tear will be gone. Every heartache will be healed. Every loss will be restored. Jesus will return someday. Now, I know we've been looking for it for 2,000 years. You may say, well, when's, it, when's he coming back? I don't know. He may come back within our lifetime, or he may come back for me tonight. Either way he does, <coughs> hallelujah, I'm gone, I'm in heaven. And my wife has to figure out the rest. <laughs> but I, we, we believe it. In the earliest portions of scripture, we find resurrection thought. 
Abraham, our father of the faith, raised his knife to plunge it into the breast of Isaac because he was fully assured that God was able to raise him from the dead. That's what the word says, Hebrews 11. He believed God who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. Who against hope, Paul says, believed in hope. He didn't stop believing because he knew somehow there was a resurrection. Remember, there was no Genesis through Deuteronomy. There was no Old Testament. There were no prophets then. There, were, there was no Jehovah per se then. All he knew is that deep inside God, this voice, told him that there would be a resurrection. David, who after he had sinned with Bathsheba, that baby born in that despicable act, lay dying. And while that baby died, he fasted and he prayed and he, and he had ashes on his body. But the day that the baby died, he got up, he put, washed himself, he put clothes on, he began to eat, and they said to him, David, why are you doing this now all of a sudden? And David said, remember, this is before Jesus. David said, he, he cannot come to me, but someday I will go to him. Even Job, with no scripture, with nothing beside him except just words, even Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. How did he even know he had a redeemer? There was nothing. There was not the word. How did he even? He knew inside by the power of the spirit that he had a redeemer. And he said, he will stand on the last day on the earth. And after my flesh is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and none other. And then I love this last line, how my heart yearns within me. (laughs) There is a resurrection. It is coming. I believe in a resurrection and a new heaven and a new earth. And I and you, we have to do everything in our power to make sure we retain that in ourselves. You may say, well, I don't know about that, brother. That is such a fantasy. Yes, it is a fantasy, but it's my fantasy and let me have it. Right? If you want to believe it's a fantasy, that's fine. If you want to believe instead about the process of evolution, that we came from nothing and nothing matters and we're heading toward nothing... That's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> you can believe that. You, you can believe. And if you really do believe that, I was just sharing this past week. I was substituting in, in school, and we were sharing about the creation account and evolution. And I said, you know, the scientists, they, they call that original uh, tennis ball, baseball size of, of matter. They call it the singularity. And that at some point in prehistory, the singularity that was in no time, no space, no nothing, it was just void, that singularity always existed. It was an eternal singularity. And all of a sudden, that singularity exploded and we have the universe. I, I think you can shorten the word singularity to three letters, God. So, so, so let me get this straight, scientists. Let me get this straight. There was a ball of matter suspended in absolutely nothing, like void and darkness, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, contrary to all the laws of physics, an outside force equal, uh, equal to the force that was going to hit that ball suddenly hit the ball from somewhere, and the ball exploded, and here we are. Right. Sort of sounds like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be, and the ball exploded. 
whatever it was. So you, you can believe that. If you believe that that's all there is, is the evolutionary process and all that, and that there is no resurrection, if you believe that, then I don't even know why you're sitting in this room. You should be out partying hard, so hard that you can't even stand up. You should be out grasping and clutching and clawing for everything you can, because very fast, it's going to the worms. And you'll have nothing. If that's it. If, if you believe that you're in control of your own destiny and that there's no God, then it's the same result. Go ahead. Have that dark fantasy of void and death. But you can, you can have that. Fan- but for me, I'm going to choose to believe that there is a resurrection that is coming. There is a heaven that is coming. And all I need to do is realize 1 Corinthians 15th chapter. It is the, this is what Paul said. So it is written of the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. Oh boy, that's all we see right now, isn't it? Dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body, Paul says, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus, became a life giving spirit. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm serving a life-giving spirit this morning. I've got a life sentence with a life-giving spirit. Hallelujah. This life-giving spirit in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and this mortal shall be changed. For corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Mortal is going to put on immortality. So when the corruptible is put on incorruption, and when the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying death is swallowed up in victory at the resurrection my death is going to become his victory my suffering is going to become his victory my pain is going to become his victory my confusion my handicap my doubt my fear my anxiety will all be swallowed up in the victory of resurrection and Paul says I've got to do everything to get there I don't know about you, but that's why we call it the blessed hope. That's it. That's our hope. That's our hope. If we don't have that, Paul says, we are of men most miserable. And you see the misery around us, don't you? Men most miserable. So Paul is saying, all this suffering, all that Jesus went through, all that we go through for him, all this weakness, all this pain, If this is not swallowed up in victory, then what good has it all been? So by faith, I either have to believe that in the beginning, nothing created the heavens and the earth, or I have to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I don't know about you, but I choose to believe God and not nothing. I'm glad I have a heavenly father this morning that I don't understand. I don't know what he's doing sometimes. I don't know what direction he's taking many times. But I do know this, that he is going to bring about a resurrection at the end of the day. And all of the knowing him and longing for him and the groaning for this new heaven and new earth will come to pass and we will stand before him in victory with our beloved apostle Paul our brother. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you so much.
that Paul laid this out for us. Even somebody as brilliant as Paul, who knew the past from the beginning, who went to the third heaven, he understood these things. And he said, folks, there is one goal that I need to pursue, that I would be in fellowship with him and his sufferings, that I would know him fully because I want to gain the resurrection. And we're, we're, we're just excited to know that our brother Paul and millions before him have found that resurrection already. And they're waiting for the last day when it will be complete. But right now they're in your presence. And I believe they would say the same thing that we would all say. And that is, doesn't matter. <laughs> all the suffering, all the present things we've gone through are worth nothing to be compared to the glory that's being revealed. So help us, Father, to be faithful, to attain that wonderful goal someday. And we will. We will. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's really anything else in life worth trying to know other than Jesus, right? I mean, you know, it's good you know your trade. It's good you know your studies and your curriculums and things like that. That's all good to know. But underneath it all, our goal should be to know Jesus fully, fully, every part of his existence, all in scripture and in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to do that. That's a goal. That's a goal in our lives. Hallelujah. God bless you. Turn around. You're dismissed. Go forth praising him. Get to know him this week even more and more and more.